Good morning. We are uh, starting a new series today. Um, we are going to be going through the book of Galatians. And so uh, Galatians is actually a letter written by the Apostle Paul to multiple churches in the region of Galatia. And so in uh, this area, it was just a few years before this, most likely that Paul helped start, helped plant these churches in this region, multiple churches on his first missionary journey. And so he preached the gospel to them. He taught them uh, what it meant to be a church. He helped them kind of get on their feet as a church. And uh, now he is writing them this letter based off some things, based off a report that he has received on how these churches are doing. And so this um, letter of Galatians if you uh, like church history, um, Martin Luther, this was his favorite book of the Bible. He said that he was married to this book. Um, and if you know anything about Martin Luther, you know that that means that this book has a certain tone to it, okay? Um, and, and so what I mean by that is I've been a parent for almost four months now, and I don't have many tones with my daughter. It, it's basically happy tone and I need sleep tone. Um, but... <laughs> For, for parents, and I've noticed uh, with spending time with friends and family and with their kids, that parents have different tones for different moments with their kids, right? You can have a, a joyous tone where you are having fun and you're excited with your kids. You can have a maybe teaching or disciplinary tone with your children. You can have maybe a, a just a sweet tone as you're um, putting your kids to bed. Um, but there's a designated tone uh, for when... Your child is in danger, right? Uh, that there is a tone that is designated for when your child is about to run into the street or about to get a little too close to a fire, isn't there? Um, that that tone is a little bit more aggressive. Maybe it's a little louder. Um, maybe it could be um, described as hostile or angry. Um, but when a parent gives that tone, I think uh, sometimes a kid may get their feelings hurt, right? A kid might feel like their, their mom or their dad yelled at them, um, but the parent does that because they care about the child's safety. They care about the well-being of that child, so they are willing to sacrifice those feelings to get the point across and to keep their child safe. And I believe that Paul is writing here with a certain parental tone because he senses danger in the Galatian churches. That Paul sees that there is a certain issue going on with his spiritual children, and he wants to set it straight. He wants to fix the issue before it causes them danger. And so what is the issue? Well, the issue for this church in particular is that they began to turn away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. They began to turn away from the gospel of grace, and they turned to an alternate gospel. And so that is what the book of Galatians is going to be about. So we are going to verse by verse over about the next 10 weeks go through this book of Galatians. And as we do it, know that we are doing that through the lens of they are, have turned away from the gospel to other things. And Paul is trying to address that and redirect them towards the gospel of Jesus. So let's dive in. Galatians 1 verse one, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead 
and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. And so Paul starts out with an apostle. What is an apostle? An apostle means one who is sent to teach, one who is sent um, to proclaim a message. And so Paul says, I am not sent by men. Men have not sent me. Men have not taught me these things and sent me to go preach the gospel. But who has sent Paul? Jesus. Because the word apostle can mean uh, a few different things, I think, in our day and age. I think there are some churches, some people who use an apostle to mean something alternate to what Paul is saying. But in this time, there were two things that made you an apostle. One is that you had encountered the risen Jesus. You had encountered the risen Jesus and that Jesus had sent you on mission to go preach the good news. And so Paul met both of those criteria. And we'll look at Paul's story a little bit more in Galatians and we'll see how he did that. But Paul was an apostle of Jesus. And when you are an apostle of a teacher, that means that you have the authority of the one who sent you to teach. And so for Paul writing to this church, Jesus sent him, which means that the authority was Jesus's. And so Paul wrote with authority to this church to get them to realize, hey, I'm not bringing this to you based on human teachings. I'm not bringing this to you. I'm not telling you things based off of what one of my friends told me or what Peter said or what John said. Paul is basing this on what Jesus had said and what Jesus had sent him to teach. And again, Paul is writing to multiple churches in Galatia. Paul continues with his introduction in verse 3. He says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul here clearly lays out the gospel. Paul here says, Grace and peace to you. Why? Because Jesus gave himself for our sins to deliver us from evil. That is the gospel. And so Paul says, grace to you. Why do you have grace? Well, grace is defined by unmerited or undeserved favor. And so for these Galatians, for us as believers, for us as humans, we deserve something. And what we deserve is not what we receive. What we deserve is punishment, is wrath of God. But instead, we unmeritedly receive favor. We receive life. We receive salvation through Jesus. That is the grace of the gospel. Not only do we receive grace, but we receive peace. We were once enemies with God. That we were hostile with him, and we deserved the wrath of the, of the God of the universe. But instead, because of what Jesus has done, we are made right with God. So instead of hostility, we have union, we have peace with God because of what Jesus has done, because of the gospel. And so we have grace, we have peace because Jesus died for our sins so that we can be made right with God. That's the gospel. And Paul lays it out clearly here in this introduction. It's clear and it's simple that if you have somebody ask you, what is the gospel? That's it. Don't have to say anything extra. You don't have to have a theology degree. You don't have to study the Bible for years and years and years to know what the gospel is. That is the gospel that Jesus died for your sins to make your relationship right with God. 
it's often said that the gospel is like a pool. It's a pool that a toddler can wade in and an elephant can swim in. It's simple, but it's complex. It's easy to understand, but it is so deep that there are people who spend their entire lives trying to understand the depths of it. But for us, Paul lays it out clearly for the Galatian church to see just as a reminder of the gospel that he once taught them. So this greeting is pretty standard for Paul. Right? Paul would typically start with, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Like that's almost his first line in every letter that he writes. And then his second line is usually, grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We see that again here. And then he adds on a little bit of the gospel, right? He's like, grace and peace to you from uh, God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who, remember, the gospel, he died for you and for your sins so that you can be married with God. Um, and then he would typically go into a time of thanksgiving and prayer. And so I'm going to kind of just say what he would say. He would say, I thank, the God, I thank the Lord for you every time that I pray for you. I have heard of the faith that you have kept in Jesus, and I am so glad to hear these things. I thank God for you daily. Right? Have you all heard that from Paul? That's not what he does here. Remember that parental tone that I talked about? Here we go. Verse 6. I am astonished. Ooh. <laughs> I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you the gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Am I trying now to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Paul, if you were trying to please people, you would not be using the word accursed like that. <laughs> no human's like, mm, let me listen. I want to hear this. This sounds sweet and good, palatable. Paul confronts the issue for the Galatians. And what does he say? What is Paul's message? Well, Paul's message is that there is no other gospel. There is no other gospel. He says, how have you so quickly turned to a different gospel? In verse 6 and 7, he says, how have you turned to a different gospel? Actually, there's not even a different gospel. Because if you distort the gospel, it's no longer the gospel. Because the gospel means the good news, and if you change the good news, then it's no longer good news. So what you are being taught is distorted, it is twisted, it is fake, and you are being troubled by these people who are teaching you anything other than the gospel of Jesus and the gospel of grace. And he says, I am astonished, astounded, flabbergasted at how quickly you have turned away. Remember, Paul was there with these churches. He preached to them the gospel message. He saw their faith grow. He saw them put their trust and their hope in Christ. And now he gets a report that they've turned away. He is astonished by that. Look at verses 8 and 9. Paul writes, If anyone should preach a contrary gospel, let him be 
accursed. That's strong. And what does he do? Double down. Say it again. If anyone, and, he, and what he does here is he t- doesn't take himself out of the picture. He doesn't look at other people. He says, if I, if any of the people, if any of the men that I am with now currently teach you a gospel that is contrary to what we taught you before, let that person, even myself, be accursed. If an angel from heaven appears to you and preaches a gospel that is contrary to the gospel that you have once heard, let that angel be accursed. Man, this is strong. But the gospel doesn't change. So the gospel and what Jesus has done and what that means for us will not change. And Paul is trying to get this church to understand that. That if even if it's from an angel, even if it's from himself, and he changes what he says, that's not from God, but it is an instrument of the enemy to distort and turn Christians away from Jesus. The gospel will not change. It doesn't need anything added onto it. It doesn't need anything taken away from it. And this was the problem for the Galatian church. For the churches in the region of Galatia, this was their issue, and I believe that this is an issue for the churches in our nation. That the American church has many versions of the gospel, but there is no other gospel. There's only one. And so if we are receiving twisted and distorted versions of the gospel, don't you think it's important for us to know what those are? So we're going to look at some examples. And Paul is taking this seriously, so I think we need to take this seriously. So the first one is the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel teaches that the Bible promises health, wealth, happiness, and uncommon success to all believers. You just have to speak a word of faith with positivity. Guys, that is not the gospel. Jesus in his own words, said that he promises that we will have troubles. We will encounter troubles in this life. That doesn't mean that we put our faith and our trust in the prosperity and the success that we have. It doesn't mean that we put our faith and our hope in the material things of this life, that that is a twisted, distorted version of the gospel of grace. Second is Mormonism. Our neighbors right over here, they, uh, their beliefs came from an angel that appeared to Joseph Smith. And he gave them this revelation, and that's where their teachings come from. What did Paul say? Paul said, if an angel preaches to you a contrary gospel, let him be accursed. And so if they are basing their entire beliefs off of this teaching from an angel that was contrary, that was added onto the gospel of Jesus, what does that mean? It means it's distorted. It means it's not the gospel at all. There are many other religions that do this same thing, that they take the gospel and then they add things to it that make it better for them. And so we've looked at things maybe that are outside, like we don't, we don't believe those. We know that those are wrong, right? What about inside the church? What about things that we have probably encountered in our lives? Well, there was a study 
done by Arizona Christian University, um, and uh, they said that 40% of Protestant evangelicals, hey, that's us, we're Protestant evangelicals, 40% of Protestant evangelicals believe in some sort of works-based salvation. One of those is moralism, that if I'm a good person, God will accept me. If I'm a good person, God will love me because I did more good things. I was just, I was, you know, I was pretty, pretty good. Didn't do a lot of bad. I didn't lie because my mom would beat me. <laughs> it's the gold star system, right? You all know the gold star system? Uh, I had a friend, his name was Steven Sloka, and in high school, um, he cleaned his church that he attended. And so we would often be hanging out on Saturday night, and he would go, oh, no, I forgot to clean the church this week. I got to go clean the church. And so Saturday night, I'd go up there with him to the church, um, and, and because I was a good friend, I would go up there and help him clean. That's not true. I'd never helped him clean. I would go up there and cause problems, okay? And so uh, he would be vacuuming or doing something around the church, and I would go play in the children's classrooms. And so uh, I remember there was this one time I was in a children's classroom, unsupervised, and and they had this poster board, and, and there was a bunch of gold star stickers next to all these kids' names, right? And I'm just looking at it, and um, yeah, I'm 16, so I'm a heathen. And, um, and all of these kids have at least 15 or 20 gold stars next to their name, except one. There's one row that has two golden star stickers. That kid's name was Bo, okay? I remember. And I was like, that's just not fair. That is not fair that Bo has two stickers and all these other kids have like 20. And so I proceeded to find the booklet of Golden Star stickers and I gave Bo like 30 stickers, okay? Because <laughs> I just really felt like he deserved it. He needed to understand what grace was. Um, I, I've thought about this since and uh, there's a really good chance that Bo had only been to that church like two times. I don't know. Uh, maybe that's why he only had two stickers. Um, there's a good chance that Bo was just a really bad kid, and he showed up the next day and probably got in trouble because the teacher thought he did that. Um, I'm not quite sure, and, uh, but there's this golden star system uh, that I think we, that was in a church. A church was teaching that if you are good, you get a golden star, right? And listen, I do not believe that moralism is bad. I believe that it is Healthy and proper to teach your kid good, healthy morals, to help them grow up and be a polite human being, to help them be a good neighbor, to help them know how to function in society and be a person that you want to be around. However, if that moralism and teaching them to be a good person gets misunderstood for the gospel, there's a serious issue there. If you believe that I earned enough gold stars I just showed up one day and they were there. I earned enough gold stars. That means that I should deserve, I am a good enough person to receive eternal life in heaven. That is the distorted version of the gospel. And I think oftentimes in the church, we fall for moralism. There's a saying that moralism can save you from jail but not hell. legalism, that I have to follow these specific religious rules for salvation. This one is so prevalent, it is so common, and so easy for us as believers to fall into the mindset of legalism. And this is what the Galatian church was dealing with. 
See, I struggle with legalism sometimes. I struggle with this idea that if I sin too much this week, I'm going to be um, in trouble with God, that God's going to be mad at me. But then if next week I do better, he's going to be happy with me. And that is legalism. That is basing our standard on how well we can follow the rules that God has given us. It's unhealthy, but it's so prevalent. And this is what the church in Galatia was dealing with, that there was a legalistic group called the Judaizers. And we're going to learn a lot more about the Judaizers as we go through the book, through the letter of Galatians. But what the Judaizers believed is that they were Christians. They believed in the work of Jesus, but they also believed that the Hebrew law was still binding. So they believed that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, and that's good, and you have to believe that, but you also have to still follow the law of the Old Testament. And you have to follow these rules and these customs and these processes, and you have to do all these things to receive eternal life. Guys, that is not true. That is a distorted view of the gospel because the law on top of what Jesus had done is a distortion of what Jesus has done. And so, Jesus plus anything equals nothing. Jesus plus anything equals nothing, that that is no gospel. There is no other gospel. That the gospel of grace through what Jesus has done on the cross is the only good news. And it's the only way to salvation. What Jesus has done is sufficient and nothing else is required. So that's the gospel. That is the true gospel. And so um, it is so important, it is so essential that we know that true gospel. Why? Well, there's two reasons that I have there. True gospel is essential because one, Christ's glory is at stake. Christ's glory is at stake if we do not believe and know the true gospel. That with the gospel of grace, Christ receives the glory. What about the gospel of legalism? What about the gospel of moralism? Who receives the glory? We do. Because, yeah, God set the rules, but look how good I was to follow the rules. Look how well I obeyed what God told me to do. And we begin to get pride. We can puff ourselves up based on our own ability to follow the rules. And so in the gospel of legalism, moralism, any counterfeit gospel, the glory gets taken away from God. Well, let's just look at the evidence of this. What does the world think about Christianity? I think for the most part, people think that Christians are a bunch of do-gooders who are judgmental and hypocritical if anybody doesn't live up to their standard. That's because we're legalistic. That's because we think we have to follow these set of rules, and if somebody doesn't follow those set of rules, then we look down upon them, even they call us hypocrites because we can't follow all the rules, but the rules that we do follow, they're the good ones. They're the ones that are important. The rules that I follow are different than the rules that you follow. The glory should be put on Jesus. 
Instead of focusing on ourselves and our ability to be a good enough person, we should focus on our loving, gracious Savior. I want to look at some verses that show this gospel and show how good our Savior is. 1 John 3, 1, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. I've learned since having a child, especially in the first few weeks, that uh, Amelia, my daughter, she didn't really do anything for me. (laughs) You know? She pooped. She cried. She didn't sleep as much as I would have liked. And I remember being tired and worn out and holding her and just thinking about the love of our Father. That we bring nothing to the table. That we aren't righteous. We don't bring gifts to God that God is super excited to receive. And he's like, you know what? Now that you brought me this, I'm going to love you. But God adopts us into his family that he calls us his children purely based on his characteristics of love and grace for us, that God is love. So we are his children because he is love, that when we read that verse, our hearts should cry out to God because he is so loving. He is so good. He is so compassionate and kind to call us broken individuals his children. Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not once you cleaned yourself up. Not once you got enough gold stars. But Christ died for you when you were at your worst. Christ died for me when I was at my worst, when I was his enemy, when I was living in sin, when I didn't want anything to do with Christ. He died for me. And he died for you because of his love. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. It is by grace that you have been saved. Not your own works, not your goodness. It is by grace that you have been saved. All of these verses point to who? Jesus. They don't point to us. This is the gospel. This is essential because when we read the true gospel, God gets the glory. And when we distort it and when we change it, we get the glory. And when we get the glory, things go wrong. When we get the glory, people are led astray. We are turned away from the good news of Jesus. We have been tricked. We have been twisted. We have been distorted away from Jesus and his glory. But when God receives the glory, it is because of his love and his grace and his compassion upon us, and he is deserving of that praise. And so any alternate gospel takes the glory off of him and puts it on something else. The second reason that the gospel is essential is because people's souls are at stake. People's souls John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He loved us and he gave his son to us so that whoever would believe in him would not die, would not perish, but have eternal life. That's the good news and that's the gospel. But there are so many people that will perish 
because they don't believe this gospel. There's a world of people that believe and put their trust in their prosperity, in their success. There's a world that puts their trust in an alternate version of the gospel. There's a world that puts their trust in themselves and their ability to be good enough. But when our belief is put in Jesus and what he has done for us, we won't perish, but we receive eternal life. And that is why Paul uses the tone of seriousness. He uses the tone of a parent with a child in danger because he realizes that it is serious because people are dying every day and their salvation is in something that can't save them. Their trust is in something that can't save them. There's a quote. I don't know who the author is. I don't think I'm allowed to take credit for it, though. Our greatest danger is not the anti-gospel outside the church, but the counterfeit gospels within the church. It's not the outside world that is our danger, but it is what we believe and what we turn to besides the gospel of Jesus that is a danger for you, Christian. It's a danger for us as a church. So let's not be troubled. Let's not be turned away from the gospel of grace that is only found in one name, and that name is Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, I, uh, I thank you for that grace. I thank you for that love. And I thank you that I was at my worst when you died for me. That I was dead in my trespasses. Lord, and you showed me grace that you stepped into our lives. You stepped down from heaven. And you gave yourself upon a cross for us. Lord, and I pray right now for the person in here who maybe has been in church for a while. Maybe they're just dipping their toe into church. And they've heard an alternate gospel. that they have been troubled by a false truth of what you've done. They have been troubled by a false reality of how to get to heaven. I pray right now that the truth of the gospel, that Jesus, you died for us, you died for our sins, so that me, we could be made right with God. I pray for the person who needs to accept that, who needs to believe that for the first time today. And if that is you, I pray that you would be so bold to take your Connect card and mark on the next step that you are trusting Jesus for the first time. 
And if Jesus is calling you towards baptism and to proclaim and begin to walk in that belief, that you would take that step. And I pray for the believer in this room who knows what the gospel is but gets caught up believing in legalism and moralism. I pray, God, today that they would turn back to you. And it is by grace that they would be saved. It is by your love that we have life. And we would live in that. We would live through that truth this week. And Jesus, I thank you for yourself. You paid it all for us. You gave it all so that we could have life. Let that not grow dull in our hearts. Jesus, we pray all this in your holy, in your precious, and in your powerful name. Amen.